don't the birds sound amazing where we're standing just now? You're right, we're very lucky actually. And it's, it's good you make us stop and listen. Yeah, they're quite excited at the moment. I think it's all happening at the moment. Joanna, we're at the viewpoint. Can you just describe the view out in front of us as you see it? I'll certainly try. So what we're doing is we're looking down Loch Caron, which is a sea loch. And as we look down Loch Caron, beyond you can see the hills, the Coolins on Sky. They are about 25 miles away, the pale ones in the distance. Yeah. And then as you look down the loch from here, in the old days, you'd have been able to see where the ferry went across from North Strom to Strom Ferry, back and forth. We're in Atterdale Gardens, which is on the south side of Loch Arran. And on the other side, you can see the houses from the west end of the village of Loch Arran. And beyond the tall trees we can see towards the sea, there's the railway line that runs from Inverness to Kyle of Loch Alsh. And we're very lucky because our own little station, Atterdale Station, which is a request stop, is just down there. And you can also see the garden spread out before you. And tucked in among this beautiful vista, panorama vista in front of us, is the most remarkable gardens that you've just mentioned there. And for this episode of the North Coast 500 podcast, we've come to explore your gardens, Atterdale Gardens in Strathcarran. I'm Dan Holland. And I'm Penny Stewart. And as well as discovering more about this remarkable garden and its artwork, because there's a bronze eagle just beside me, which I'm itching to know more about. Dan is off visiting a stunning boutique hotel, which takes cutting down on food miles to a whole new level. What we do do and what we do grow, we use in our restaurants, and that's what's really important to us. So herbs, a lot of fruit, a lot of salads, and a lot of vegetables that we produce in very much succession growing. More from the Torridon just shortly. Plus, Penn is discovering the joys of exploring the highlands by mountain bike. You know, as, a, as a guide, I want, I want people to enjoy the countryside, enjoy the air, enjoy the views more importantly, and then point out these little uh, secret gems. And we'll be getting some great advice on staying safe when you're tackling some of Scotland's more serious hills. But before all that, Joanna McPherson is our guide here at Atterdale Gardens. Joanna, actually before we get going to the gardens, tell me more about this bronze eagle which has caught my eye just on our right here. Who is this? What's the story? <laughs> That's a good question. This garden is full of sculpture. There are about 20 of them all together. And this eagle was made by a friend of my mother's. My late mother spent 30 to 40 years in this garden. And one of the many things she did was to find pieces of sculpture from all over. And this is by one of her old school friends. <laughs> my mother grew up in South Africa and it's actually a South African eagle, but we don't mind about that. It's rather <laughs> splendid and it sits just below the viewpoint, keeping a close eye on things. It's a perfect place, perfect place for the eagle. There are other sculpture. We can see the back of a cheetah down there, which is pretty amazingly balanced on just one paw. We'll have a better look at that as we go down. Johnny, you said your, your mother spent 30 years here in the garden. Tell us some of the history of the gardens. How did they come about? Well, Atterdale as an estate was owned for many years by the Mattison family. And the story is that one of the Mattisons bankrupted himself trying to improve agriculture in the Highlands. 
So you'll find further on in the garden, you'll find spots where there are drainage ditches. He obviously put in a huge quantity of drainage ditches to try and make it drier and work better. But sadly, he bankrupted himself. So that was the end of him. So interestingly, though, they then rented out the house to the Schroeder banking family who were very keen on gardens and it was them who planted these rhododendrons. So what's interesting about Atterdale Gardens is that the rhododendrons are over a hundred years old. So unlike other places which may have lovely shrubs, we have trees, great big tree trunks of rhododendrons, which I can show you later. Where should we go and head to first, Joanna? Where would you Why like? don't we walk down the steps from the viewpoint and I can take you to the front of the house and show you the oldest part of the garden, which is the sunken garden, which we can see in the distance. Well, while we make our way to the sunken garden, let's hear how I got on when I decided to tackle some of Scotland's hills by bike. I joined Kev Stacey from 42 Cycling on the south shore of Loch Ness. So two weeks ago, Kev, yep. I was cycling in short sleeves and suntan lotion and now today this morning oh, I, I woke up to an inch or two of snow and oh. we're back in kind of full winter gear oh. and i thought welcome to cycling in scotland so what's the plan for this evening kev you've come out on the mountain bikes all right so so plan is uh stunning scenic views so pitch up at um doors packed up We've left doors there, we're going to head towards Inverfarragig along this like banks of uh, Loch Ness. Uh, we get to Inverfarragig, there's a, a well-known local feature called the corkscrew, which is just a series of sort of hairpin bends that takes you up quite sharply, but not too, not too difficult to, to cycle. Takes you up a bit of height and then we, then we, we contour up the back to uh, Balcraggan Farm. From there, drop down and we follow a, a gravel, sort of Land Rover type track up to uh, where it goes single track up to Fairhead Lads Pass. Absolutely stunning views. Very secret, so like a hidden gem, I feel. It's not well known. And then the best bit is when you cycle down Fairhead Lads Pass, which is a series of uh, single track switchbacks. It's a great route. And then we've got a nice, lovely rocket back down to Doors along sort of forestry land over tracks back into uh, Doors itself. Really looking forward to it, Kev. Ah, Sounds good. great. South Falkness Trail's only been going 10 years, so it's still, still sort of developing that sort of awareness amongst people. And there's tons of scenic, scenic views, little sneaky little places to sort of admire the countryside and really, feel, really feel and be in the nature. It's uh, slow tourism at its finest. Is that a hashtag slow tourism? <laughs> <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Just catching my breath. Hi. <laughs> right. Is this... Where have we got to? Right, so, so we've literally just turned left at Inverfarragig. We've just stopped now um, at the base of the corkscrew. So the corkscrew is a series of uh, switchbacks, quite sharp sort of switchbacks, and, uh, which is a fantastic. You know, it sounds worse than it is. <laughs> you can go long, long sweeping around the corner, yeah, or you actually attack the sharp steepness at the bend. And what you find it's just like it's like two or three pedals and you're up on the next platform okay good that sounds good doesn't it it's sounds fun. perfect perfect yeah, but, but the good thing is before you know it you're quite high up something you've said several times since we set off kev is about hidden gems it strikes me 
the sort of North Coast 500 has become quite an iconic kind of cycle route. But in a lot of people's heads, that means road bike, whiz round doing 500 miles, and you're done. Yep. And I'm getting the sense, certainly from you, that they're missing a trick. They absolutely are missing a trick. Um, so I was guilty of that when I first did the North Coast 500. I wanted to do it as fast and humanely as possible. So I went for five days, you know, I was in the military at the time, so I took uh, soldiers with me, so the military paid for it. <laughs> but um, when I looked back on it, 16 of us, only two completed it. Really? In the five days. Right. And that's not fun, really. So I've since you know, had a re-evaluation looking at it now, and, and now, you know, as a, as a guide, I want, I want people to enjoy the countryside, enjoy the air, enjoy the views, more importantly, and then point out these little uh, secret gems. Wow, look at that. We've just come round another sort of hairpin bend, and we've got up high enough that the loch, loch Ness, has just opened out to our left. What a view! Oh! Unfortunately, that's, that's another bend again. Here we go. Oh. You all right, Penny? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, as this demonstrates, cycling in the Scottish Highlands, you know, I mean, it can be seriously climby. Yeah. There's some fantastic climbs. Yeah. And, so, there's, and there's loads of fantastic climbs in the North Coast 500 or tons. <laughs> you know, and it's a, it's a real achievement. But then it's then having that sort of, uh, well, it's not even knowledge. I mean, if you, if you employ a guide, they'll be able to guide you as to when to push, when to ease off, what's come up ahead which is good so they can balance, uh, balance your energy systems and not go into the red and end up really hating it. So an example would be, uh, for instance, like going up the, the Bialy. A lot of people think that's it, completed when you get down to Applecross. I completely underestimate the lumpiness <laughs> that, that takes you around, you know, like to Torridon. So they tend to boost off on the, the Bialy and then uh, get to the top and think, yes, and then go, oh. But, uh, I yeah. made that mistake. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's, that's where the benefit of having a guide would come in because it's like tempers, not, 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 not um, restricts the fun, but it just tempers the enthusiasm a little bit for them so they can really maximise the distance and obviously the enjoyment. I mean, that was pretty climby. Do you find that the North Coast 500, or you know, even if you're taking it in chunks, and coming off the more obvious route, yep. can it offer up something for the less experienced cyclists as well, who probably don't want to do something like the corkscrew that we've just done? Yep. Um, there's most definitely some scenic uh, routes you can ride. You know, which it's got some. I mean, you're not going to escape hills, unfortunately. You know, but, uh, but you get you do get duration of length of hills and steepness and stuff. Sometimes the short ones are probably the best ones to attack because all right, they're steep, but it's over and done with and you can go down and you back up and go down you know it's a uh, very very enjoyable so a good uh, a good section would be uh you know when you go along the foot of stack poly and you, you, you cut up and you head into sort of lock inver and then you can stop at lock inver ladder and you really have in your in your pies because <laughs> so, you know, that's a fantastic pie shop there you know so it is and if you want to hear more about those lock inver pies mm -hmm. listen to our episode on the ascent because i've been to the pie shop yeah they're really good I've been working off one of their pies coming up here. I think that's, that's why it took me so long.
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right, where next? So we're going to, you can see a little bit of down here, we've got another little bit of up, but it's a very gradual climb up to uh, Balcragan Farm, and it's a Land Rover forested track up to the single track, and then it's a very short, it's like probably a kilometre and a half into the Fairhead Lads Pass, and then after that, Penny, it's all downhill, I promise. <laughs> I'm liking the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great though, you know what, mm. I'm, I'm buzzing. Right. That that buzz you get from oh, making you, it up a steep hill. Can you see how far, how high you've climbed already? And that was just like what four, four or five switchbacks. And it's just such an escape. And actually, we're, we're no, we've come no distance, but we could be in a different world. I love that. It's a bit special, isn't it? Easily done. It wasn't that easy. Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> How long, generally, would you say that people need to allow to come up and and do the North Coast 500 by bike? So I would recommend, always recommend to people if they've got the time to do it 10 days, minimum of 10 days. If you can go longer, great, two weeks. Yeah, but if you do 10 days, then that's just enough to do 40, maybe 50 miles of uh, riding in a day. You can do that in the morning quite easily. And then what it allows for then is uh, the afternoon to explore the various areas that you stopped in. So you can experience a bit of culture, you can get the food and drink. There is so much to do around the route. And I think you're right. If you take it in just little chunks, yeah. you can just get the best of everything. Yep. Oh, we've done a lot of climbing up some sort of much narrower gravel paths and it's not particularly technical going I've had to go over some fallen down logs and bits and pieces I've come off once but we were also cycling through two or three inches of snow up the top here so you really I mean you really do have to be prepared for all weathers beautiful blue sky but snow on the ground and pretty slippy and we're just now after a lot of climbing coming over the top and Loch Ness is opening out down below us. Just jump off your bike there Penny, just walk up this bit, yeah. This is what all the climbing's been for. Yes. Oh my word. What do you think? So we're standing up above sort of the, almost the middle of Loch Ness on the south shore of Loch Ness so up to the right you've got Inverness you can't quite see it from here but you can see Dawes where we started out and then it tucks around to Loch End and Loch End Beach you've got Drumnadrocket and Urquhart Castle opposite us and then the snow covered tops Mialfulvani and the hills beyond and it goes all the way up to Fort Augustus I mean this this for me is Scotland. You know, in a, it, it captures everything I love about living here. It fills up your heart and your soul, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I, it just literally makes my heart beat quicker, Kev. I never get bored of this. It might sound daft, but I find it always quite emotional coming somewhere like this. You're not getting teary, Penny. I am getting teary. <laughs> I am getting to you. But the best bit is, it's only, it's literally not even 20 minutes outside of Inverness. Just before we get back on the bikes, 
and head for home. Tell us about where we can find out more about 42 Cycling. So you'll find us on, uh, we've got our own website, so 42cycling.com, easy to find there. We're on all the social media channels. Uh, the main one of interest, which I like to sort of try and sell sort of Scotland and certainly the views that I experience, which I like to try and share with my guests, is um, on Instagram, because Instagram's a fantastic platform for uh, sort of sharing those views. And then we've also got a, a profile on Facebook. So, you know, if you put 42 Cycling in the search engine, you'll probably get a multitude of different, different locations. And we're also a member of the North Coast 500. <laughs> <laughs> which is why you're on the podcast <laughs> it has been absolutely absolute delight mm-hmm. absolute pleasure and a real hidden gem i know this area well and i've never done this ride and um i've never seen the loch from this side from up in this position and that's great because it's it's a hidden gem even even if this is is your home mm-hmm. yeah brian i'm really pleased that you've enjoyed this fantastic right let's head for home or head for the pub maybe (laughs) this is the bit I've been waiting for (laughs) (laughs) and if you want to find out more about what 42 cycling has to offer just head for 42cycling.com that sounded good <laughs> <laughs> it was it was huge fun and you know kev just he his enthusiasm knows no bounds um it was it was quite hard work but i think what is interesting is that he's going to get a whole lot of electric bikes he's waiting on delivery any day and then really routes like that one that i did which was pretty climby in fairness but it's going to be so much more accessible to, to, to so a really more, wide it? range of people. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, and just a joy to see it differently, to, yeah. to do something that was a bit different and away from that conventional kind of North Coast 500 route. Great fun. For more information about the North Coast 500 podcast and all the things you can get up to on the North Coast 500 route, just head for northcoast500.com. For this episode, we're in Atterdale Gardens in Strathcarran in Wester Ross. We've come down from the viewpoint and you mentioned the, the, the cheetah sculpture when we were up the top, but the movement... It is lovely, isn't is, it? ...is in... That sculpture is extraordinary. It's, it's sort of in mid-air. It's beautifully balanced because it's just got front, left paw, forward, and that's what's um, attached to the, the, the rock. But the movement is just great. It's by it Hamish says, Mackey. A man called Hamish, Hamish Mackey. Mackey did it, and we've got a lovely little roe deer by him as well, further down in the garden. Um, as my father would say, my mother was a painter, so my father had to work hard to make the money to pay for all her ideas. And he was endlessly saying, <laughs> he was endlessly saying, "That's enough. No more new ideas." But you couldn't keep a good woman down, so she was constantly adding to it. You were saying you were going to take us to the sunken garden? Yes, I wanted to show you the sunken garden because actually, as far as we know, it's the oldest part of the garden. And if we walk carefully down the steps, it's three quadrants and they're planted to look in a similar way. And what's interesting, if you stand here, you can see how the house and the garden sit, surrounded with the hills on one side and the sea on the other side. And in the middle of the quadrant, there's a sundial. And the sun has just come out. 
in which which means that we can actually read the a very rare <laughs> a rare luxury i might say <laughs> i'm feeling blessed so it may not do summertime so let's have a look it says it it's says nearly it's about five actually, 10 to 11. yes and if i look at my watch it says it's 20 to 12. 20 to 12 so add an hour for british summertime very good thank there you we go. as we've walked down to the sunken garden um do you know that's the first time i've ever seen a sunday i'll tell the right time <laughs> but Result. as we walk down, walk down to the, the sunken garden here, Joanna, we've passed some more sculptures in the garden. I saw there was a wild boar, and I've seen a chameleon as well. We you mentioned the eagle and the cheetah. Tell us more about some of the artwork and the sculptures throughout the garden. Well, I might take you on a wander round to see um, the most recent addition to the sculptures, which excites amusement and appreciation, particularly among the children, is we have a piece of sculpture which I can't avoid calling a bottom. So I will take you to see the bottom. <laughs> I was going to ask if there was a particular theme to the art in the garden, but now I know we're going off to see a bottom, I'm assuming there might not be. As you look through, you can't help seeing the sun shining on the bottom. <laughs> ah, yeah, now I, and now I see why it's a, a bottom. <laughs> it, it was a serious question though. Is there a theme to, no, to the mother. art? My mother would see things when she was travelling or she was interested. A lot of the sculptures are by people she knows or she knew. Um, and this one, in fact, is by someone called Bridget McCrum and she did two, she did two bird sculptures. So this is the latest, this bottom is the latest edition and it means there's something of interest to draw you down into this part of the garden, which is called the New Wood. Would it be wrong to touch the bottom? Because it's actually really tactile looking. Is that all right? Of course. It's smooth. I think the bottom looks like it wants it wants touch, doesn't it? You see? Have you been touching the bottom too? <laughs> talking to two visitors there. That's a lovely feeling bottom. It came it came it was purchased during the first lockdown under the influence of my father's youngest grandchildren. Well it's slightly weird, yeah. but not unpleasant is that the sun's out today. Dan's given me a look. I should turn my back on you, Dan. Um, the sun's out. Yes. Is it warm? The bottom is, 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 is black and it is warm to the touch. So actually, it feels really alive. Yes. Okay, okay, shall we go somewhere else now? <laughs> yes, let's do that. Right, Torridon is one of the West Coast's great playgrounds. There's Munro's to climb, and ride over. There's water sports above and below the waves. There's low level walks, incredible wildlife, and there is a vast sense of openness about the landscape. So if you're coming here, you need somewhere to stay and eat. So I nipped along the road to meet Dan Rose Bristow at his family run hotel resort, the Torridon. We sit uh, as a resort at the foot of the Torridon Mountains and on uh, the shores of Upper Loch Torridon. And I think the, the drama of the landscape here is really about sea level to, to over 3,000 feet. Many of your listeners will know about Munro's being over 3,000 feet, and we have three or four in the immediate vicinity to here. So you get a very dramatic landscape of, of, of sea to top of hill. It's that sort of scale where you're really at the foot of it. I mean, people have seen mountains many a time before, but you don't always see them from sea level. 
And so we're very much surrounded by sort of a, a wilderness. And, and here in Torridon we have Ben Allegan um, and then Leergeek straight opposite the hotel. And then up the road is Ben A. It, it, it's, it's, it's the landscape that draws people here or the thing that people talk about. People have been to alpine areas, but you, you, you wind your way up the hill and you never quite see the top of the hill. Here you see the top of the hill. Uh, and I think it's that sort of, oh wow, I'm at sea level and there's the top that, that is so uh, dramatic. I mean, sometimes, well, people do call them hills, but I think Mountain Rescue will probably tell you they, the mountains. They'll tell you something very different, won't they? Uh, and they're not very hills, different. and people sometimes turn up here yeah. with the inappropriate clothing. Yeah. But uh, they're very much mountains, and, and uh, on a day like today, you're right. You, you don't get much better with, with blue skies, not a cloud in the sky, and yeah, you can clearly see the top of the hill. Let's come back to where we're standing now at Torridon Resort. Tell me about the resort here. There's, there's 15, 20 Highland cattle lying and enjoying the sunshine, a couple eating some silage there. Some hay, sorry. Tell me about the resort. What have you got here? Because it's more than just a hotel, isn't it? These, these cows are an integral part. They are, yeah. I mean, Torridon Resort is 30 years in the making as an independent family business. We have created not just a luxury hotel, but multiple restaurants. We've got different levels of accommodation from the luxury 18-bedroom hotel to uh, 12 more cozy, comfortable rooms at our stables. Um, we have our own Torridon Outdoors, which is, uh, as it is, a, an outdoor activity company offering kayaking, mountain biking, hill walking, gorge scrambling, snorkeling for those that are really adventurous. We have a farm here where we keep sort of 15 to 20 head of Highland cattle. It used to be just uh, uh, cows in the field, but we sort of turned it into a bit of a beef program. And so we. Um, we take about three or four animals a year and use them in our restaurants. Um, they take three years to mature. It's a very organic process. They're only grass or hay fed. Um, that's why they take so long to mature. Um, we have pigs, a number of different pigs. Um, we're out of Tamworth at the moment, but we're getting in some British lops and some large blacks next week from a, from a rare breeder in, in Tain, which is great. So we're just going over the, the, the main estate bridge here, which uh, actually opens up into uh, some trails that we've signposted and waymarked. So you can actually go up to Ben Damp, which is a mountain just behind us, actually. Yep. Then if you follow down at the, the actual track here in front of us, you'll end up at the Balgi River or the Falls of Balgi. Um, and there are a couple of different routes. You can either mountain bike or walk. We have 58 acres in all uh, on the site. A lot of it is the woodland uh, and pine trees. We've just arrived at the, the kitchen garden, which on first sight, it, it looks spectacular. It looks immaculate. And it's a, I mean, it's a difficult time of year. There's not going to be much yeah. growing here in, in mid-March. But, but what have you got growing oh, in the kitchen You'd be surprised, garden? I think, if you, we can show you down at the polytunnels, there's a few things still growing over from winter purple sprouting broccoli and a bit of kale, some leeks. We have two fairly large polytunnels that have been an absolute game changer for us in terms of the way we're able to extend our growing season and produce uh, what we do produce for the kitchen for them to use both, both in both restaurants. And, and, you know, we can now grow stuff 10 months of the year and not yeah. the sort of six, seven months of the year we used to. We still plant outside, but it's just a shorter season. 
I mean, it's 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 a labour of love. It's actually was my father-in-law's passion back in the day. He was he's a very serious gardener, and he uh, and a couple of people put it back to the way it was, and and we've just developed it on from there. Really, what we're trying to do here is not be sustainable. We can't. With yeah. The number of people visiting here. I mean, back in the day, you'd have had a handful of guests and a few staff. We, we, I've got 55 staff here and on any one day, 60 to 65 guests. So you're feeding a lot of people every day, three yep. meals a day. You can't be self-sufficient. But what we do do and what we do grow, we use in our restaurants and that's what's really important to us. So herbs, a lot of fruit, um, a lot of salads and a lot of vegetables that we um, produce in very much... Um, succession growing so we don't grow lots of different things in yep. small variety we grow a small number of things that work well in Torridon in terms of the microclimate here but we grow a lot of it so the chef can use it in the menu in a very um, succession planned way uh, and the menu can stay the same for a period of time and that type of thing so and it adds to your food story doesn't it because yeah, yeah, food is really important for you at the Torridon or yeah. I glean that from reading your website yeah if, if the kitchen garden can influence that, there's the story to tell about what you're doing here. I, 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 you can all go, you can go to any hotel restaurant and, and eat. But if you, if you know that the venison comes from Ben A five miles down the road, or, or the beef comes from the field in front of you, or that the salad was picked three hours ago from the garden 100 yards away, your experience will be better. You will enjoy your food more. Why? Because the story is correct. People are trying to do the right thing in terms of sustainability and locally sourced. If we can do as much as we can on site, from from the cows in the field that you see to the to the manure that they produce, that we put that onto the garden, that then we produce the vegetables and the fruit that then goes back into the restaurant. It's a circular economy. My wife and I, Rohiz and I, we've always looked at the way we do things and we want to do it the right way. Now that, you know, our success hasn't come in day one. We, as, I, as we alluded to before, as a family, we've been here 30 years. I want to ask you about that. Let's, let's take a walk out of the kitchen garden, back towards the, the house. Twenty twenty two. As you, you just said, Dan, it's a, it's a very special year for, for you and the whole family here at the Torridon. Tell us about the family history here, because this is a very much a family business, isn't it? Yeah, so this was all started in um, 92 by my in-laws, David and Geraldine Gregory, who moved down, actually, from Kinloch Burvey, further north of here, um, and bought Torridon in a quite a dilapidated state. Kitchen was condemned, no central heating, electric wiring was, was kaput. Um, many of the rooms were on suite, sharing bathrooms. But they had a vision that they wanted to buy a country house um, and make it a hotel. And um, Rahiz and I came here in 1998 from London, bit of a change in scene and decided that uh, we'd give it a go at managing the property with them. We were looking to move out of London. Yeah. And thought we could have a go at hospitality. Uh, Rahis had grown up in hotels and um, said she never wanted to work a hotel. <laughs> and uh, I'd visited Torridon and the family over a number of years and said to her I would never live in Torridon. And about a year later, we were here. So 
we gave it two years to see what it would be like and would we learn it enough. I think from my point of view, it was very much about um, buying into the business and, and becoming an entrepreneur and, and businessman in my own right, as opposed to working for someone else. That, that was the real attraction for me. And I think for us as a couple, it was about continuing the legacy of what her parents had created very successfully uh, and taking that to the next level and putting our stamp on it and our mark. And I think we've done that. You know, we've taken Torridon from a three-star hotel to the most northerly five-star hotel in the UK. Um, created two restaurants, created a reputation for the Torridon that, that means it, it's part of some of the best hotels in the United Kingdom. And when we set out, effectively, Rahis and I came here 22 years ago, I don't think we were necessarily thinking that would be our ambition, but we wanted to push the envelope and see how far we could go. As you say, that's taken a, a lot of years to get to this point. What's the future for the Torriton? You've got something very special in your hands, haven't future? you? I can tell Good by question. the way you... What's the future? I, I, I mean, it's really important that everybody feels welcome and that they are, and that we are inviting to them to come here. So, you know, for us, it's, this is our home and we want you to be relaxed uh, and to enjoy our home. It happens to be a resort with, with various bits and pieces added on with the farm and the garden uh, and a number of restaurants or whatever, but, but it, it is ultimately our home. And, and it's really important that our staff understand that culture and that when our guests arrive, everyone is, is made to feel welcome. And I, I think uh, our guests come here because we're a destination. So typically guests will stay here two or three nights um, and enjoy some of the experiences we have. We, we unlike other premium luxury hotels in, in the United Kingdom, we don't have a spa. You can go for a swim, but it's called a lock. Uh, and you, Cold and you, water therapy is very good. Well, it's wild the, water the swimming is all days, the rage it? these days, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, and we don't have a gym, but clearly climbing we've got, a mountain. No, you've gets got a natural fit. gym. So, we've got this amphitheater. There's your gym. These are these are things that I think gives us a point of difference, and why people come here. They're not here for a spa break, but they are here for the outdoors, a bit of adventure. Um, you know, even inside, you've got our 365 whiskies that we offer in our bar, which you know, one for everybody and one for every day of the year. Dan was at the Torridon Hotel, and if you want to find out more, just head for thetorridon.com. And now we've arrived in the Japanese garden, which was created originally due to the fact we have the road, as you probably just heard, and the railway line, which blocks the natural flow of water to the sea. And therefore, there was no way that this would ever have grass in it. So my mother's idea was to change it into a Japanese garden where you have gravel instead of grass. You have stepping stones. And I can point out to you here, if you stand where the stone on the ground is surrounded by white stones and you look to the north, you are looking at what they call in Japan borrowed landscape. And those hills with some snow on are the Applecross Hills. So if you were in Japan, you would be looking at Mount Fuji, but as you're in Westeros, you're looking at the Applecross Hills, and you're very lucky because the sun is shining today and you can see them. There is blue sky all the way. They're framed beautifully between two trees, 
The Western Highlands offer some amazing hill walking. Just north of us, not far from the Torridon Hotel, there's Ben Allegan, there's Ben A. A bit further north you get to Anchelloch and the list goes on and on. It's a hill walker's paradise in this part of the country. The flip side of that is walking in this part of Scotland can present a lot of challenges too. Penn caught up with mountain guide Tim Hamlet from Hamlet Mountaineering for some do's and don'ts when you're tackling Scotland's epic hills. So Tim, I know as, as well as doing the climbing and various other activities, you're in, very involved in, in mountain rescue. Um, so in terms of, of safety up in a, a place like, like this, um, and across the Scottish Highlands in general, are the particular rules of thumb that you think any of us should be aware of. I mean, today's a beautiful day, but there's, there's challenges on every day in Scottish Hills, aren't there? It, well, yeah, absolutely, and it's, it's not to be underestimated. Uh, certainly, I think what I would highlight is that the planning starts at home long before you ever get to the hill. You can pick the day to best suit your level of ability, and the particular destinations. There's, a, there's always another time, the mountains aren't going anywhere. So if you feel like it's not quite your preferred weather, just pick a different day, don't go. I would always advise that people take enough food and, and water beyond what they think they're going to need on the day in case the day becomes longer than expected and you don't want to run out of energy on the hill. But also a map and compass. Have that with you and go and get the skills and the knowledge to be able to, to use those. A mobile phone is all fine and well, but it will eventually run out of power. And to use your mobile phone not only as uh, mapping, but it is your call for help. That's your, your method of um, communication essentially your primary method of communication for most people so if you're draining the battery on that on a cold Scottish day you want to consider how you you are able to call for help if you do need to I'd always advise a really good solid pair of walking boots and break them in a little bit before you go for a really big walk and good waterproof clothing so I'll often have my full waterproofs in my rucksack as well as the sun cream. That's just how Scotland works, really. It is definitely how Scotland works. Because <laughs> even a day like today, I mean, we're, we're quite early in the year and there's lovely sunshine and in the sunshine it's warm. But in the, uh, in the shade, it's really cold. That's it, absolutely. So, the, the, the ability to be able to, if you were injured, if you think how long could you sit um, and be comfortable with the clothing that you've got in your bag before you are actually really quite hypothermic. And one thing that I would totally advise everyone to have in their rucksack is actually a little shelter, a little bivy shelter or bothy shelter. Essentially it's like a tent, but without any pegs and poles. 
and you throw that over yourself like you used to at school with the uh, trampolining games and you create a big tent over yourself and that just cuts out the wind chill effect and you can be a lot warmer and happier not to mention more visible to people that are coming to get you obviously accidents do happen and if you're unlucky enough to have that happen to you then all you need to do is phone 999 and you ask for the police if you're anywhere off the road that an ambulance isn't going to get to you then the police will task them out and rescue to come and help how often are you called out a year uh, we are possibly one of the quieter teams and we we get between about maybe 12 and 18 sort of call outs a year they tend to be more busy in the summer as you might imagine but although we're quieter than some teams we still have to be able to respond at that very high level uh, when the when the situation demands it's interesting you say quieter i think um i'm quite surprised by it being as high as 18. if you imagine across the whole of scotland there must be a lot of call outs absolutely so the mountain rescue um, service in scotland is all completely voluntary these are people giving up their time to come and and help. All of Scotland's kind of divided up so different teams will look after different areas. Uh, I volunteer for Ascent Mountain Rescue but there's obviously teams across Scotland that cover various mountain regions and they are the specialists for their little area. A big thanks to Tim Hamlet for that great advice. It's great advice and I would just say, I mean, I've done quite a lot of mountain biking around the hills here and the people I've spoken to have always said to prepare yourself. If you're going for a mountain bike in the Highlands, prepare yourself with all that same Samantha kit that Tim's talking about there. Maps, compass, spare clothes, food. Get yourself properly prepared for a big day on the hill on a bike. Here on the North Coast 500 podcast, we've arrived at the kitchen garden. What's the story behind the kitchen garden? Presumably it was for produce for the house. Absolutely, Dan, and it still is, but in fact, obviously, we seem to grow rather too, rather more than we need. So when we do have spare, we put it up at the gatehouse so when people come and visit us, they can take some fresh lettuces away from us. It's quite early in the season, so you can't see much signs of life. I, I can see the rhubarbs beginning to grow, and we have this huge fruit cage, which we cover with a net in the spring and summer to keep try and keep the birds off the currants. We've got red currants and black currants and white currants. We've got rhubarb and later on we'll have strawberries. And we've got these step over apples that run on either side of the main pathway, which do very well and have glorious apples in the autumn. It's a beautiful way of training the, the trees, but you're right, you can just step over it. <laughs> which seems... Just to outline the path. They're also at perfect child picking reach height, aren't Correct. they? Correct. I regret. That's <laughs> not. Indeed, you're absolutely right. Okay, I've touched right. the sore point there. Sorry, Joanna. <laughs> Joanna, thank you so much for for showing us around. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, remind us when you're open and how people can find out more. We open on the 1st of April, or if Easter's before, then we open from Easter onwards, and we're open daily until the end of October and um, you can find us by looking up on 
atadalegardens.com. It should give you all the information you need. As well as visiting Atadale Gardens, in this episode I visited the Torridon Hotel and Penn was mountain biking with 42 Cycling. And we heard from Tim at Hamlet Mountaineering about staying safe in the hills. There is so much more to discover in this beautiful part of Scotland. So do head for northcoast500.com and download the app for more information and inspiration. Enjoy your trip and catch you next time. So here's the roe deer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which is rather sweet. My, par my parents gave it to each other for their diamond wedding anniversary. And it's very funny, dogs, I mean, it obviously it doesn't smell of deer, but you, people have to keep their dogs on the lead here and you'll see the dogs going for it. They think it's a deer. By Hamish Mackey. Yeah, the same one, yeah, the one who does the... the he's sorts. amazing. Again, he's captured. It, it's, it, it's in a pose which suggests you've caught it for a moment. For, yeah. for just a blink. The North Coast 500 podcast is an adventurous audio production for the North Coast 500.